Welcome to the table. Well, we are in our Advent series, and today we are going to be talking about Advent peace. And I'm so excited to introduce you to my guest today. I started following my guest. So last spring, I had my friend Grace Picho on, and she said, have you ever heard of Shannon Martin? And at the time, I hadn't. And she said, you have to follow her. We were talking about wonder. You have to follow her. So I started following Shannon on Instagram, and and then have since I'm in the midst of reading her book and thought, you know, it never hurts to ask. I'm just going to ask if she'll come on the podcast. So I am so grateful <laughs> that she said yes. So welcome to the table, Shannon. I'm so happy to be here, and I love that you know Grace. Oh, I didn't she know that is- you knew her. Yes, she's dear to me. Oh. We've had the chance to meet in person a couple of times, and I adore her. So that's fun to know. I didn't yeah. know that part. Isn't she so sweet? And yeah, we talked about wonder. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a beautiful... What a great talk. Mm-hmm. For her. And that, that, yeah, it was part of that conversation that she said, she asked if I had heard of you, and she said, oh, you have to follow her. Oh. Yeah. And so it's just been your okay. your walks through your neighborhood and as you go through your life I just I so much appreciate the way your outlook and the way that you take in the world around you well thank you yeah Yeah. so is there anything else that you would like to say by way of introduction um sure I can give you just sort of the the broad view um I've been married to my husband Corey for 20 years this year. Congratulations. And he is the chaplain of our county jail here in Elkhart County, Indiana. We live in a small city called Goshen. Um and so we moved here a little over 8 years ago and that was a, it marked a huge shift in our life in so many ways. I'm sure we'll talk about some of that today. Um but we're thrilled to be in Goshen and just yeah, a lot of our life shifted very unexpectedly and in ways that are that we're really grateful for. So we have four kiddos. Robert is 25, Calvin is 14, Ruby is 13, Silas is 11. I have to always think about that really hard or I get somebody's age wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and and our family was built entirely through adoption. So yeah, we've got just three of three of the four still living at home with us, but we are just living life here in Goshen in our neighborhood, trying to learn every day more and more how to better live as a neighbor. Mm-hmm. And I also started so addition in addition to, you know, author work, speaking, online work, that kind of thing. I started a part-time job in the spring um, where I am a cook at our soup kitchen in town. So two days a week, I throw my hair into a ponytail and go in and cook a bunch of food. And it has been the absolute joy. I mean, it's just, it, it has kind of reoriented my life in some really important ways, but I also just love food and I love to cook and I get to see a lot of friends and neighbors who come in and eat with us there. So it's been the best thing ever. Yeah. It's so fun to watch your posts about it with the piles of whatever (laughs) it is that you're making that day. Like, I think it was chicken legs. I never know, like, does it, does this connect with anybody? Because it seems so just random to take a picture of, you know, hundreds of chicken drumsticks or whatever it is that we're doing that day. But I, I mean, when it comes to social media, I find that I, I'm pretty active on social media. 
And I, the thing that helps me to stay active is that I truly post what means something to me. Mm. And I hope that that connects with other people. And, and I believe that it does, but it, you know, that's one of the things that when I'm, you know, taking my picture of soup again, <laughs> it's sort of like, well, I don't know if this, you know, if this means anything to anyone but me, but it's important to me. So I like to share that stuff. I'm glad you like it. Yeah, I do. I appreciate it. I, well, and it goes along too with your book, The Ministry of Ordinary Places. I mean, I guess a hundred drumsticks is not ordinary, but <laughs> it's a little extraordinary. Yeah, I think probably that's what I just did yesterday. Like, I mean, it, we had to have been 200 or 250 wow. chicken drumsticks and that's that was all me so yesterday I was like the the chicken drumstick lady yeah. and that's all I did my whole <laughs> shift and then serve lunch clean it up and that's your day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well and the walk too the walk when you go to and from the soup kitchen or when you go to and from is the soup kitchen in your church because you it's not it's okay. it's about a mile away in town but I do I I like to walk when I can I used to walk my kids to school every day and their elementary school is at the end of our street. And I don't have anybody at that school anymore. Isn't that, uh, so my... that just kind of changed things for me because that was such a, a tremendously important part of, of what became sort of my daily rhythm and just the rhythm of my life. And so I have to work harder now to find reasons to be out walking because it's so important, but it's, you know, if you don't have a reason for me, mm -hmm. if I don't have a reason to do it, a lot of times I don't. So that's been, that's been a good way to kind of just keep that rhythm in place. Yeah. This year I had my oldest went to high school and my youngest went to middle school. I've got two boys. And it yeah. is very strange to not have anybody in elementary school. It feels crazy to be done with that. I know. I agree. Yeah. And <laughs> we do also have our church at the end of the street. Okay. And so I, I do still, we still walk to church and that's another way. Um, when you asked if the soup kitchen was in our church, it is not. But our church houses the community homeless shelter. Okay. So you may have seen something here or there where, you know, it does get a little blurry around the edges. But, yeah, there's a lot mm -hmm. of cool stuff happening right here in my neighborhood. Yeah. So, okay, so we will talk about Advent Peace. But I, I, want, <laughs> you to, yeah, I want you to talk a little bit about how, because that's what I thought was interesting. I mean, I was only following you on social media. So all I know is you living in Goshen, Indiana. Right. I didn't know any of the backstory, which yeah. you talk about in your book, because you were living in the country. I was. And I wrote all of that down in my first book called Falling Free. Okay. So if anybody is curious about kind of that backstory, that first book is it like maps out the whole shift and the, the big transition from our, we kind of have this, like our before life and our afterlife. And that's really what it feels like, you know, we, we had this, we have these two separate lives, but just to give a quick snapshot, we, so we've been here now for eight years. So it feels like we've been here for a while. We've lived here mm -hmm. longer than we've lived anywhere else as a family. But prior to this big move, we didn't live far from here at all, but it was, you know, it was in a different community geographically, not far, but you know, maybe, I don't know, 20 minutes away, but very philosophically and just demographically different, very, very different. And so we, yeah, at the time, my husband was working in federal politics. He was working for a United States congressman. We had lived in Washington, D.C. for a while. So we had kind of, I was still kind of working in the, the work that I did in D.C. So I was also working in federal politics under a grant, okay. like a, a federal grant. We had just at, at the beginning of kind of this big shifting in our heart, we had 
two kids, Calvin and Ruby, so they were tiny. And then Silas came home in the midst of that. But we were just living this this life at the time that was the only life that we knew to live, which mm-hmm. which means that we were kind of we were writing down our dreams and our heart. And, you know, one of the things that, that we wanted desperately was to live in this white farmhouse out in the country. And that's what we were doing. And so we, we had these good jobs. We were earning a good living. You know, we were living in this beautiful home, kind of secluded from everything around us. And even if we weren't a bit secluded, we lived in a community, a very small community where for the most part, everybody looked, lived, believed exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And that's the only life both of us had really ever known. So yeah, for us, even just, you know, kind of the, the idea of laying that physical home down. I mean, it was so symbolic. It, it Now in hindsight, it can almost sound in my own ears like a bit of a small thing. But selling that farm was so symbolic to all the changes that were going to come next. And honestly, we had no idea what was coming next. We had no idea about Corey's work in the jail. We had no idea about our fourth kiddo, Robert. So he's 25 now, but he was 19 when he came into our family and he was incarcerated at the time. So that's a pretty interesting story, a big surprise (laughs) for our family. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, we just, we didn't know what we didn't know. And and our, our lives and our hearts and our vision was changed when we moved into this very ordinary, you know, kind of shabby, low-income neighborhood. We have learned tremendously from our neighbors. And I say all the time, my neighbors changed my life because they did, just mm-hmm. being near them, mm-hmm. just living, you know, living in their light and learning from them and, and being near them has changed the way I see most of the world this podcast part of the reason I started it is I I was trying to start an actual re- physical retreat house based on oh. Benedictine hospitality yeah so welcoming the stranger recognizing that we're all created in God's image yeah and so that's what I've really been appreciating about the ministry of ordinary places is that that's when you're running it when you're walking your children to school and walking back and running right. into them that that's what you're you're so conscious of that right of looking at them that way and, and really seeing them for who God created them to be and, and his affection for them. Yeah. Which is what I, yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right. I think for me, the, you know, the very early, early parts of the, of the shifting of my heart. And I don't, I can't quite say what prompted this other than the Holy spirit. Mm -hmm. But for me, it really did begin with a prayer of just wanting to see the people around me and even the people not around me, because like I said, at the time, for the most part, people around me were very similar to me, but just, just suddenly having this yearning to see people the way that God sees them, you know, Mm -hmm. to see, see the, the people around me, the people who might be living very differently than I do or who might believe differently than I do or, you know, on and on who I might for some reason believe that, you know, we have a, there's a difference between us, but to really start to see people as bearing the image of God. Um, and that, you know, that is a prayer that I believe it's a good place to start. And I, I just completely believe that that's a prayer that God is eager to answer. And I know that for me, it did it slowly, you know, it wasn't overnight or dramatic, but it slowly started to change the way I saw the world. It changed the way I saw myself. It changed 
it changed who I wanted to spend my time with. It changed, it changed everything. I love everything that you just said. <laughs> and especially like if somebody is listening and wanting that, that I, I just want to point out that it's a slow, it's a slow yeah. move. Yes. And it's slow work. Mm-hmm. And, and it can, I mean, I think in, in neighboring and in, in all of these things, we have to almost give ourselves permission or maybe give ourselves the reminder that it's slow work mm-hmm. and it's supposed to be, you know, this is, you know, like I said, I've been here for eight years and maybe for some people that sounds like a really long time for some people, it sounds like a really short time. I look at our lives and just, you know, like I said, the way things have, have changed in our hearts and in our minds. And it's been, it's been a lot of change, but at the same time, I feel like, you know, we don't necessarily have a lot of quote big things to show for these eight years, you know, we don't have, I don't know. I just, I, it, that's what teaches me over and over in the daily that small things are really the only things, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a lot of these small things that stack up into eight years worth of learning to live as a neighbor, learning to love the people around us, learning to love, to be loved by the people around us. That is just, there's just no way to rush that. And there's Mm -hmm. no reason to try and it, I think it can be really uncomfortable. That was that's actually how my prayer started. Was Lord make me comfortable in the uncomfortable? Let, yeah. Let me be okay feeling uncomfortable and right. in the gray because I wasn't. Yeah. I, I just I wanted to want that. <laughs> yeah, I, that's I, how it, I felt too. Yeah. I I wanted to want something. I wanted. I mean, I remember praying. You know, and and I am a historically what I think of as like not good at praying which is a different conversation for a different day. But I say that because I don't want anybody listening to feel like, you know, I feel like I have some like rich prayer life. Like it's a struggle for me. I never feel like I'm really very good at it. So there's that. But I remember praying. I want to want more of, I want to want you more God, Mm -hmm, you know, like mm -hmm. these very simple, like they felt so preschool in some ways. And it, it even felt like, am I allowed to pray this? Am I allowed to ask God that I want to want more of him? Because am I kind of admitting that I don't don't want God enough? But yeah, I am, Mm -hmm. you know, and so it's these, it's these really fundamental, basic kind of nitty gritty prayers that pave the way for this. Mm -hmm. And I think sticking with it when it gets uncomfortable, I had my neighbors over for uh, coffee. I just said, I'll be here. I'll have coffee come on over and we'll sit in the living room. I was still at home with my staying at home and people came over and it got into political conversation that I found uncomfortable. And I was like, I was like, Oh my goodness. This is why people don't do this for this feeling right now. Right. But to stick with it. And it's amazing how like you can, something like that can shift the the culture of your neighborhood I like I, I feel like I, I did that a few times and then people said I want to host and I said yes. absolutely and then some it's been a long stretch since we've done it it's never something that's been consistent but people have, every so often someone will say we should do coffee I miss I miss it so yes. I mean it's just people are hungry for it yeah to, I think so too and I think you know we, we try to live with our door pretty easy on the hinges is the way I I like to phrase it. So we have people in and out of our home 
often. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, when I talk about this, whether it's on a podcast or, you know, in person with somebody, I always want to declare it will be awkward. It will be awkward. (laughs) There's just no way around this. So people ask questions like, you know, what did you do to make it less awkward? Well, I sure wish I knew the answer to that. If somebody (laughs) knows how to make it less awkward to have you know, to invite people in, which takes a lot of vulnerability on both sides for the person inviting and for the person being invited. That's a really vulnerable position. Mm -hmm. When you're doing that, you know, maybe with people you don't know really well, like you said there, you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's going to come up. It's going to be awkward. So just kind of lean in Mm -hmm. and expect it a little bit. What I have found is without exception on the other side of that, So I have to do a lot of self-talk sometimes. Like Mm -hmm. I always want to bail out. I always wish somebody would get a fever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) These things go through my mind frequently, but you push through. And on the other side, I have never a single time that I can remember thought, well, that was dumb. Mm -hmm. That was a waste of time. I mean, you push through that hard stuff and that discomfort, like you're saying. And on the other side, you just... You, I mean, you might have a lot of dishes to do or whatever right. the case may be, but you also have this feeling of like, I did it and it wasn't perfect. And it, and, and that's a good thing. You know, it, it wasn't mm-hmm. supposed to be perfect. And I, I've, I've never had regrets. Never. Well, and sometimes I've experienced that too and thought, God, I could have missed out on this. Right. If, oh, absolutely. If I would have let that fear or that, you know, <laughs> I don't feel good. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> right. But I never, yes, I never. Introverts unite. I mean, I think there are I actually am extroverted. You but are. I, yeah, am... I was going to say, I think there are some extroverts who feel this way too, but I'm an introvert. I can only speak for, for that. Yeah. I, I don't like conflict. Yeah. So that makes me uncomfortable. And I live in Minnesota and I don't know if you've ever heard of Minnesota nice, but it's really have... like Minnesota passive aggressive is really what it is. And so, (laughs) so like the conversation turns and it's uncomfortable, then it's like, I like dancing around. How am I going to make this stop? So, right. Yeah. So, and actually what is something too, I wanted to say about your book is reading your book made me want to write. As I was reading your book, I had to stop because I was inspired. I mean, what it, what it was bringing up in me inspired yeah. me to write and I hadn't done that in a really long time oh I love that so Aww. thank you yeah thanks for telling me that yeah it's a, on um page 31 when you're talking about uh, I'll just read this a little bit is that awkward yeah. for you, <laughs> yeah, <please laughs> you your book. so at the bottom of 31 it says I happen to be stirred into a true melting pot each of us falling wildly off the map of who the others always thought we were Single moms, tattooed men, refugees and immigrants, activists, liberals, dyed-in-the-wool conservatives, addicts, business owners, and undocumented college students on the move. Some are orphans and some might wish they were. Each reveals the face of God, made in his image in order to bounce his glory and goodness around the room and through the streets. I read that after I work at a college here, and the college is used to be a prep school for boys who were going to be priests so the catholic diocese built it and part of my new employee orientation was the history of the college of this chapel and he said that there's the chap there's this prep school then there's the college and then there's the cathedral 
and the architecture of each gets grander with each one. And and he said, from the top of the bell tower at the college, you can see the St. Paul Cathedral because it's so high on the hill. It's higher than the Capitol. The, the church is high. It's the highest point. And I thought, that's true. And they probably did that because when as you're going through the city, they wanted you to see the church. They wanted you to remember God. Yeah. And I thought, so I've been to the, the cathedral. And when you walk out, you see the city. And I thought... Yeah. I don't know if that was their intent, but reading right. what you wrote, that that experience with God, that we're supposed to take it out and really see the city yeah. and go yeah. into it and bring, actually, I was going to say bring him into it. Go join him where he's already at yeah. in it and working. Yes, yeah. I love that. I love it. So I love that part. So thank you. So when we were talking about uh, this, doing the podcast together, I had said we could talk about your book or I'm doing this Advent series. And and then I said, or we could do both, which is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I gave you a choice and I said we could talk about peace, hope or love. And you said, I want to talk about peace. I mean, we can make hope and love work, but I want to talk about peace. So what was it about talking about peace that was so attractive yeah. or drawing? Well, I think I'm I think I'm struck. And I don't know for me, because I, I remember getting that email and thinking like, oh, I could, I could have plenty to say about any, any of these three. Um, so I don't know if it was, you know, just sort of the way the wind was blowing that day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but I do feel like I'm struck, especially this time of year by what does it mean to, to be a peacemaker? Mm. What does it mean that Jesus came to be our peace. I think it's just something that that our world is craving and longing for. I know I am, and I know that the holidays can feel honestly like in the in the ordinary moments of just gathering with family and I mean, I know that for me and my family who I cannot wait to see, but there's a lot of a lot of um different ideas, mm-hmm. a lot of different opinions and preferences and you know, those things are bound to come up at some point. And, and I think there are a lot of people who sort of feel that tension and feel Mm -hmm. a little wary, like, you know, that it's kind of, it's almost like a cliche at this point, but what, what do you do when you're sitting around the Thanksgiving table and, you know, one of your relatives who you love (laughs) blurts out some political opinion Mm -hmm. that is just, you know, you don't know what to do with it. I mean, these are the things that, that are, this is a part of our reality, no matter where you fall. I mean, I don't, I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't even care like where, where we might fall on that spectrum, but there's bound to be somebody that's going to make us uncomfortable. There's going to, there's bound to be, you know, conversations that feel like the opposite of peace mm-hmm. in the midst of, of these holidays that we're, that we're celebrating. So yeah, I think I'm just, I'm very much drawn to, to the idea of what does it look like to be a peacemaker. And, you know, in particular, the Ministry of Ordinary Places, I kind of the the crux or the, you know, the the piece of scripture that I just latched onto for dear life and clung to and still cannot hardly bear to move away from is the passage in Jeremiah chapter 29. And my favorite verse out of that beloved favorite text. So I, I love a whole chunk of that text. But my favorite verse is verse seven. 
And it says, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Mm. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. But I love that, you know, work for the peace and prosperity of your place, basically, Mm -hmm. and pray for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I, but I, I think, I think God created us (laughs) to be at peace. And, you know, this has been mangled in, in many ways over history and since creation. And, you know, I'm not going to go all the way back to the fall, but, you know, we, we know this story, but I think God does and will intend to restore all things, to bring Mm -hmm. peace, to bring shalom. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it. And so I just, I, I find that so beautiful and I find it, I find it so comforting. And I also find it really interesting and honestly just shocking that he invites us to be a part of that knowing that we're going to just mess it all up Mm -hmm. we're going to get it all wrong (laughs) but he's he's telling us he's telling his people you get to work for the peace and prosperity of your place and I don't think he means this is again this is a little rabbit trail that we don't really need to go down but I don't think he means financial riches when he says prosperity but just Mm -hmm. you know sort of the peace and the flourishing of the community of the world and basically says, if the people around you are not free, and if the people around you are not at peace, then you are not free or at peace either. Mm-hmm. And so I just, for years now, I've just kind of carried that that scripture and that truth around in my hands and just kind of, you know, like you roll, roll a marble or a stone around in your hands and you just, you feel it on every side and you, you know, you know, the size and the shape and I think that's that's kind of how I feel with that little passage of scripture. So I think I'm guessing that's a really long answer no, that's to great. why I may have latched on to peace. But I'm just I'm I love thinking about it. I love believing in shalom. I love mm-hmm. it. So I'm not as familiar with the beginning of that. I mean, I'm familiar with 29:11 that a lot of people quote and hang on right. to, and I think have the wrong view of what that prosperity in that verse is. But what yeah. I like is what it goes on to say is that when you seek me, you will find me. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Yeah. And I feel like that's, oh, it sounds so trite, but that's where we find the peace is seeking yeah. him and trying to find him. And right. and like you were talking about before, it's imperfect prayers. It's imperfect. See, it's an imperfect yeah. process. It's yeah. not. Well, and, and that's, that's actually... Like you said, that's that's a little bit, that verse is a little bit later in the text of chapter 29, but that's what, and I didn't know this word before I published this book, but that's called an epigraph, which mm. I didn't know. Did you know that word? No. Nope. You probably did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I remember talking to my editor and saying like, what's that thing called where you can like put a, a verse or a lyric or a quote or something on a page by itself at the very beginning of the book? I didn't know what it was called. And so she told me, but that, that was my epigraph for this book. So the first scripture is that, I don't even, I don't even know if it's on a page number, but yeah, if you look for it, you will find me, I will be found by you. And so that wasn't a, that wasn't a real landing point overtly in my writing. But as you know, as you've done, as you've read some of the book, the whole, the whole focus of, of this book and really the lesson of my life for the past several years is as we think about what it looks like to enter into being peacemakers and shalom creators in this world, 
it does start with paying attention. So Mm -hmm. seeking God with all of our heart, I've started to understand how that can integrate or I don't really like that word, but like how that connects with, with ourselves, our human bodies, our hands and our feet and our eyes. And, you know, starting to understand kind of goes back to what we talked about at the beginning of, of this podcast, but just the way we see people, the way we see our place, all of this kind of melds together Mm -hmm. into what it really means to live out Shalom. And, and I believe with my whole heart that it begins in, in part by, by really literally paying attention to the world that we're in. I think for me, like, as I've learned to pay attention to my physical place and, you know, talking about those walks that I take or just, you know, being really present in my life and in my neighborhood, that's where that has, has sort of set the pace for me to better understand what does it look like to seek God with my whole heart. I think God is, is all around us Mm -hmm. in place. You know, he's hiding in plain sight a lot of times for me. And this gets a little, this gets a little kooky sounding, but bear with me because Mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've, I'm I'm into that. So, okay. (laughs) I used to kind of roll my eyes when, and this would have been years ago. This was in my old life, but I used to kind of get eye rolly when somebody would say like, Oh, I, you know, I, I see God in nature. I did not know what that meant or what to make of it, but I thought it sounded like, kind of hippie mumbo jumbo. It meant nothing to me. And and I landed in this neighborhood and all of a sudden I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm starting to understand. I mean, I I think it's okay to, to, and good even, to see God's goodness and his grandeur and his, his hope for shalom in the, in the actual trees and in the mm-hmm. actual clouds and, you know, in the, in the dirt and in the roots of our world where we've been planted too. One of my favorite things. So when I look out my kitchen window, it's, we have, we live in a, a neighborhood that's well-established. And so there are lots of big trees and you can see sometimes you, it's, it's almost like you can see the wind by the way it's moving through the leaves and the trees, yeah. like it's alive. And that always makes me think of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit yes. moving and, yeah. and it feels it can feel disjointed and like, where, what, where, where, where are you going? Where are you going, Lord? Like I, I'm trying to follow and I don't know what you're doing. Right. I love, I love that. that. So you kind of see God active in the wind and the trees. And I, what I really have latched onto more than anything else is the moon. And mm. I don't know why it started on those walks to school because I never, I, I guess I wasn't present in my physical world enough before all this to realize, and again, I feel a little silly saying this, but all of a sudden I was like, oh, I keep, it's daylight, but I'm, but the moon is still like right here in the sky. Mm -hmm. I had never slowed down enough or whatever it was to really notice that, to think about why. And so it became sort of a thing for me. And it's still a thing where I'm always looking for the the morning moon or the day moon. And a lot of times it's there mm-hmm. and I find that fascinating. And I find it just for me, it's like this, this reminder almost of, I don't, I don't know if this makes sense to other people, but for me, it's just a reminder of, of God's enduring everlasting presence. Mm. He's just with us. He's with us wherever we're going and he's with us as we go. And, you know, I tell my kids, you know, God is holding your hand. I mean, I just, I believe that that's, that's how he's walking with us. And for, for whatever reason, the moon is now kind of like 
a marker for me. I love does that. that, is that is, does that sound woo-woo? <laughs> I well, don't mean it. I mean, maybe to some people, not to me. Because I was yeah. even thinking about sometimes we don't see the moon, but that doesn't right. mean the moon's not there. No, it doesn't. It sure doesn't. And and we know that the moon's always going to be back. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not going to keep talking about the moon, right. but it has become, <laughs> I, I would love to encourage people to find what it is that speaks to you. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just, I think I grew up with kind of some bad theology that, that almost diminished physical creation. You know, it was mm-hmm. almost, I, I don't know, like it was, there was such a disconnect and a separation that I was almost afraid. <laughs> I was afraid to, to think too much about nature and creation and coming to a place where, where we can really believe that God created the whole world to reflect his glory and his goodness. And that is to be celebrated, you know, that mm-hmm. to, to spend my morning kind of chasing the moon and looking for it. And like you said, a lot of days you, you don't see it, but man, on those days when you do, it's special to me. It means something to me. And I notice that. Mm-hmm. And that's something that, that I want to hold on to. So I think for, for different people, it, it does mean different things and it looks different ways, but this world is beautiful. And, and we get to be in it. You know, we get to be here in it and a part of it. And, and that's, that's incredible. Have you ever heard of thin places, Celtic Christianity, yeah. thin places? Yes. That's what, it, that's when you're talking about creation that so on the, in Northern Minnesota, along the North shore of Lake Superior, it, that's what we call the North shore. I know other people, they think of Hawaii or whatever, but for me, it's Lake Superior. Yeah. And, and that is my, that's my thin place. That's where that's I right. feel like God is near. It's yeah. He's always near me. I think it's just I that's know. where I recognize it. But yeah, so I hear what you're saying because a friend of mine likes to lead worship. And so when she's getting to lead worship with her people, she'll say yeah. that's my that's her thin place when it feels like yeah. God is really close. Yes. Yeah. That's beautiful. And I think, yeah, that can get, like, if you go Google thin places, there are people that are a little cuckoo about it. So just right. bear with me, people. We're not those cuckoo people. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Obviously. So then how do you, so you talked about seeing people, really noticing and, and being awake to the things that are around you. Because I'm wondering if some if someone's listening and they're, they're desiring peace in their life. Mm-hmm. And so how would you, what would you say to them that they're trying to find peace in the midst of the tension of it's Advent and we're getting ready for Christmas and it's crazy and there's family and holding the tension of those things? Yeah, I think people are going to define peace and how it feels or how they want it to feel a bit differently. I just, I see this abundant life that we have been offered as believers as meaning we get to feel and taste all of it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think when, when we moved into the neighborhood and, and surrounded ourselves with people who are struggling to rebuild after incarceration, who are fighting to stay sober and clean, you know, fighting addiction, who are clawing their way out of, oppressive systems and generational poverty and, you know, immigration stress and just all of these things that, that we, you know, back on the farm, we just did not have a clue. We just didn't know. We didn't, there was no reason that we could have known. And we just Mm -hmm. didn't, you just, sometimes you don't know what you know until you know it. Mm -hmm. But when we found ourselves in the thick of it, 
I suddenly felt like my, my theology up to that point was falling a little bit flat because I just didn't, I didn't have room for the hard stuff. I didn't know how to process it. I did not know what to do with, with sadness and grief. I did not know, you know, I was, I was almost taught to a point that it was bad. You know, it's Mm. maybe even sinful to worry to, you know, we hear these particular verses kind of mangled a little bit or mishandled. And and so I realized how much of that I really kind of carried with me. And so beginning to understand that, that for me and for us, for my family living in this neighborhood and living in close proximity with, with the people around us, I mean, lament and grief and mm-hmm. sadness mm-hmm. and just experiencing brokenness is a big part of that. And so living as a neighbor means being willing to sit in that, not being able to fix it, which would have been lovely if we somehow would have had <laughs> solutions for any of these. I don't, I do not have the, the solution to addiction. You know, I do not have the solution to, to poverty. I just don't. And so coming, being able to, to sit with the reality that there's nothing I can do to, to make this go away. Mm-hmm. I think we need to, to fight good battles. You know, I think, I think we do need to, to kind of link arms with the people around us and stand with the people who have the least amount of power and be willing to stand in those hard places with them. But, you know, we can't ultimately make these trials go away. So we, what we can do is make the choice to sit so close to people who are suffering that the heat of their pain seeps through our genes, you know, we're sitting mm-hmm. kind of knee to knee mm-hmm. and we're just sitting so close that we feel that pain with them. So I, you know, I don't see peace personally as this absence of tension or this absence even of pain. I see it as being willing to enter into the tension, the suffering and the pain and knowing that, that God is near, God is with us, um, knowing that we're not alone, knowing that God gave us each other. He gave us community. He intends for us to be in close community. I think I think that's peace. You know, it's it's being willing to even look at to really look at the at the nativity, at the Christmas story of Jesus's birth and and really be willing to understand and reckon with the the hard parts of it that a lot of mm-hmm. times we tend to gloss over, you know, just the realities of it. So I I think Scripture is is kind of this long arc of suffering, <laughs> and I think I think we're told and we're promised we're promised that if we follow Christ, we're, we will suffer. I don't pretend to have suffered greatly. I know a lot of people who have, and I'm I'm not I'm not that person at this point. So I don't want to you know I'm not trying to 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 be a martyr or to say that you know I've I've suffered greatly for my faith. I haven't, but I do know that not only is suffering, does it exist in the world? We've been promised. We've been promised that we will, that we will know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think peace to me means recognizing and feeling God's presence often through the community around us, you know, mm-hmm. as we go through the hard places of life. Mm-hmm. So here's an example. Somebody today DM'd me on Instagram, somebody I don't know, and she said, you know, I, I did a story today, this morning. I mean, rolled out of bed, not a stitch of makeup. I mean, I looked like a disaster and I just thought, oh, well, <laughs> I'm just going to go for it. And so I asked the question, you know, what is everybody up to today? And somebody messaged back and said, 
I'm hosting our blue Christmas service tonight. She said it was to help acknowledge that Christmas can be a really painful time mm-hmm. for folks. And so to give space to that, to create space to sit in that sadness and to acknowledge that Christmas is not just jolly and joyful and candy canes, right? Um, but there's some real suffering happening. To me, that's peacemaking. Mm. You know, that's that's making space for the hard stuff. That is making peace, building peace. And there's there's a big difference between keeping peace and making peace. Oh, say more about you know, that. Well, yeah, I think I think keeping the peace means brushing things under the rug that mm-hmm. might not be very festive this time of year. Um, you know, not making space for hard things because we just want to enjoy Christmas. Or you know, mm-hmm. I'm just kind of singling right. out Christmas because that's the season we're entering into. Oshita Moore, I don't know if you know her mm-hmm. or have read any of her work. She's probably the person that I first kind of read about this and latched onto this. So I, I want to give her full credit that I'm pretty sure that's where I kind of, uh, kind of landed on this, but you know, the idea of keeping peace is, uh, is passive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Making peace is work. It's sweaty, dirty, difficult, um, awkward work sometimes because it's, it's saying we're going to do what it takes to, to, bring about the flourishing of our place. Um, We're going to, you know, sometimes, and this is a bit of an extreme example, but I have, as I said, our kids are all adopted. I am a white woman raising zero white kids. Mm -hmm. So for me, part of that means like calling out racism when it happens rather than just like, okay, I'm not going to make this awkward for anybody. And we're just going to pretend that never happened. That would be keeping the peace. Right. Making peace is has a grander goal. You know, making peace doesn't say, I just want to make all tension go away and pretend that everything is happy and snuggly. It means I'm going to maybe have this hard conversation because I believe in what I believe in, in shalom. I believe in what can be. And so I think that's a good word for us to hold on to, even as we head into the holidays where, you know, some uncomfortable conversations are sure to come about. And by no means do I think we need to derail Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) if crazy uncle so-and-so says something off the rails. Mm -hmm. But I do think that, that rather than just pretending that never happened, maybe we can circle back later and say, you know what, let's, let's talk about this some more sometime. I'd love to do that one-on-one. Like right now might not be the time. And uncle so-and-so might have zero interest in that. Right. But being a peacemaker might mean taking that extra step. I mean, as I said before, I don't like conflict. And so I think that's why I I had to start with a prayer of God, help me to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Yeah. Because my go-to was to keep the peace, not make Right. Oh, yeah. I think all of us, that's our go-to. Yeah. And I, I am the personality type that does not avoid conflict. And I still, like, I don't avoid it, but it's always easier to just... Move on. You know, to just walk away, mm-hmm. to just, I mean, when I need to engage in conflict, I think it bothers me less than it bothers a lot of people, but it's not fun. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't think any of us really prefer that typically, especially when you're talking about people you love, people close to you, people that, you know, might be complicated people just as we are, mm-hmm. you know, it, it takes that gumption. And I've learned this the hard way because I did that thing. I've done that thing many, many times, especially when my kids were younger, where, you know, things were said that were hurtful and I just chose to like, ah, eh, 
I'm going to, I'm going to give everybody a pass on everything. As my kids get older and as they understand more and as I see even the racism they have faced, I, I've just, it's forced me into a place of understanding, you know, part of the joy of being their mom means that I have the, the duty to be kind of a peacemaker when it comes to this stuff that I'm not going to sit back and just passively let these things roll off my back necessarily. Mm-hmm. And if it's, you know, if I feel that way about my own kids, then I need to feel that way about everybody's kids, you know? Right. So it's just, we're, we're always learning. We're always growing. There's always something new that God wants me to know. Apparently mm-hmm. he's never content <laughs> done. To just he's not to saying, Shannon, you're done. <laughs> right. That hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Oh, there are so many ways we could go in the conversation right now. I have so much to say. Um, yeah, children and the world and making a better place for them. And because so I'm ra- I'm raising two white boys. Yeah, which is interesting to do today. Right. To do the tension of I don't want you to feel guilty for who you are. Right. And I want yeah. you to recognize the privilege you have. And steward yeah. that well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I get that because that's, that's how I still feel as myself. You know, mm-hmm. like this is as, as we continue to learn and grow, you do, you just, you peel away the layers. And, and as I peel away the layers, I, I see, you know, I see my responsibility differently. Mm-hmm. And, and that is, that's, it's interesting and it's meaningful to think about how your experience in parenting is different from my experience, but it sounds like we're working towards that same goal of shalom. Mm -hmm. And so that that's going to require different things from different people, I think, or at least, you know, acknowledging kind of a different perspective. But to me, that's peace. That's making peace. When, when we can say, this is, this is my life and this is my stake in it and my role in it. And, and what do I have to bring to this table of shalom? Mm-hmm. In what way can I offer peace in this world that's broken right. in many ways? Um, and, and it doesn't always look the same way. No, but it, like you said, if we're all working to make that wrong thing right. Right. Yeah, that's in that it. Area. Yep. Yeah, I can't claim that. My friend Stephanie O'Brien said that that she defines shalom as making all the wrong things right. Yeah. Because I, what's so I love all things British. You need to know this before I say my next thing. (laughs) (laughs) I, because Jesus is the Prince of peace. And I thought, well, what does that mean? That he's the Prince of it. And to understand because we don't live in a monarchy, but what power does a Prince have that it's something that he bestows on people and so that changed the way that I prayed for peace was, huh. Jesus, you are the sovereign over this. Will you bestow that on us? I love it. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm so glad so, you shared that. Peace is, a, you know, I thought, you know, some it's so easy to just talk about peace and it just sound it can sound really light. But then when you yep. start working into like even sh- the word shalom, which like you mentioned Oshida, I mean, that's her, yeah. her whole life is working for shalom it gets so complicated (laughs) it's hard work I mean I I think that's you know going back to that verse in Jeremiah work for the peace Mm. Mm -hmm. I mean that's the first little phrase there 
and that means something, you know, right. like words matter mm-hmm. and that it, it's significant and, and we need to be willing to bear that because I think if I had a conversation with somebody recently about this idea of keeping the peace versus making peace. And, and this individual was very staunchly on the other side of this. Just he felt like keeping the peace was, I mean, we were almost just speaking two different languages. And so it was a really, it was a really special conversation because we saw things differently. That's mm-hmm. where, that's where the good stuff happens in relationships and conversation a lot of times, but it was just, it was, you know, I mean, I, I, I stick to my guns on this, that phrases like work for peace from the prophet Jeremiah, you know, prophesying the words of God, like we need to pay attention to this. It's go, it's going to require something of us and we should mm-hmm. not be surprised. We should not be surprised when over and over and over we are called to lay down our life, to lay down our life for the kingdom, to lay down our life for, for our neighbor, to lay down our life for, for the cause of Christ. When we encounter situations that are uncomfortable, it should come as no surprise to us. You know, this is it. This is the thing. And this is part of it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're humans and we would just, we'd rather be comfy, cozy all the time and pretend yeah. like conflict does not belong to us, you know, to, I mean, I, I'm as guilty as anybody. Like you just, I understand the impulse to just want to, want to pretend like it all exists way up in the atmosphere and it doesn't. You know, it's not my problem. It's not my business. But I think God is is constantly calling our attention to the fact that we are all connected. You know, this is the kingdom of God. Being part of the kingdom of God means that all things are, you know, we're connected and and Mm -hmm. we are called to have each other's interest at heart and not just our own own preference. Lately, I've been thinking a lot about how because of the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Yeah. That it was the the it was the final outcome that he was focused on, not just the cross. Like he knew what he had to go through to get there. Yeah. And he focused on the end. And that was also as you were talking, I was also thinking about that feeling of okay, so I'm I don't mean to compare this conver- having a conver- hard conversation with someone to Jesus going on the cross. I'm just right. talking about <laughs> suffering in general. <laughs> But the, there's no better feeling than when you engage in that uncomfortable conversation and you say the hard thing. Yeah. And you can walk away from that conversation feeling, you can feel good about having the conversation, no matter what the outcome is, right. but that you didn't fold. Maybe I'm just talking to myself, yeah. that I didn't fold and I stayed in the conversation no, that's, that's and said the hard that's thing. That's how I felt so many times when I would walk away from just these offhand comments that people would make about my kids. I never felt good about it mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Like I never felt like that was the right thing to do, Shannon. I mm-hmm. always had that nagging sense of like, you know, that's, that was wrong. And, and there's a right and a wrong way to, to handle that. Mm-hmm. So I believe that there, there is a right way to do it, but I, you know, these are children and they need their mom to have their back. And part of having their back means that I will, I won't just sit passively by, Mm -hmm. but it's still hard. I mean, I'm, I'm such a huge believer in giving people the benefit of the doubt. And so, so often I personally can take that too far. Like I'm just going to give everybody the benefit of the doubt forever. Mm -hmm. And, and so it's, it's hard to navigate that sometimes, or for me, it's just, it's uncomfortable 
to confront that. Mm-hmm. But you're, I can't think of what the word is. When you get close to something, proximate, is that what they call it? Getting proximate to something? Yeah, yeah. That, so there are, there are two young men in our church that have been adopted from Haiti. And so I, I heard someone talking about getting proximate. And so then when I, when young black men got shot, I thought, oh my gosh. And, and talking to one of their yeah. mothers and that, that yeah. son looked like her son. And I thought, oh yeah. my gosh. And the more I got proximate to yeah. it and could it put instead of a far away, but a, a face, which yeah. again, working for peace, it's not something that's naturally in my family. So I right. have to do the work mm-hmm. to, and that, which is part of the privilege that I have. Yeah. Right. And I need to steward that well by doing the work. Yeah. You know, I, I cannot applaud and be grateful enough for Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of people feel very differently than I do about that, but I'm telling you what, I mean, because I'm, I'm really aware I grew up in a, my whole childhood, my whole life in a community with very little diversity. And I had Mm -hmm. a wonderful childhood. I'm going back home in just a couple of days to spend Thanksgiving. I, I mean, I guess my point is I know that proximity, it's so important, but it's, it, in, for some people, it's just really hard. It's hard to find proximity outside of, of what you know. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's where Twitter can really be your friend. I believe I have learned tremendous amounts of, of just, you know, kind of exposing blind spots and, and learning from, from the perspective of people of color and, I mean, you can just, you can really be intentional about who, who you're learning from, mm-hmm. you know, the, the books that you're reading, the podcast you're listening to on and on. I mean, we can, we can be intentional about that. And that's something that, you know, a few years ago I had never thought of, even if, if, if we don't live in a place where proximity feels as reachable, there are other ways, I guess that's mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of my idea to drop in there is, is just, you know, kind of let who Let's are you following? Who are you media. reading? Yeah. 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 Well, and I think to stay engaged to, well, so I'm speaking as a white suburban mom, staying engaged by listening. Yes. And listening first and yeah. listening with, so I read uh, Jonathan Merritt's Learning to Speak God from Scratch. Yeah. And then I read um, Austin Channing Brown's book, I'm Still Here. Yeah. And I don't think I would have stayed with her book had I not read his book because I needed to stay engaged because she was using words that were triggering me and I thought how is she my question was how is she defining this yeah is she defining it the same way as I am does that well I'm going to stay engaged anyway and so I think to your point when you start listening and you start reading the important thing is to stay to stay engaged and to keep yeah. listening and to keep reading and to Even push into the yes. especially especially yeah. if it's uncomfortable yeah. yeah agreed such a hard process i know <laughs> i yeah i think you're right though about the verse to work for peace okay so i would love to keep talking but i think time is time is running out on us so i better we better just wrap things up. So then there are two questions that I'm asking this Advent season. The first one is, how do you retreat? Is it a place or a practice? What does it look like for you? 
Yeah, for me, we have learned to, especially over the holidays, back in the day, eight years ago or whatever, when when things started to change for us, it, it even made me sort of put my holiday traditions under the microscope, so to mm. speak. Like I just, you know, traditions that we used to carry from our childhoods or whatever, like they suddenly just, they didn't, they didn't land right. Another story for another day, really, we're out of time. But it's, it's very different to celebrate Christmas when you are surrounded by lack. Mm. It's just a whole different perspective. And it was glaring and it was um, uncomfortable. So, you know, not knowing quite what to do and, and bearing that tension always. I mean, I, I'm just, I am a white middle-class woman living in a low income neighborhood. I mean, that's just the reality of it. And, and so I, I have to be able to hold both, you know, I have Mm -hmm. to be able to be content and grateful for what I have while acknowledging that I have more than most of my neighbors. So one of the things that we did was, was to just kind of lay everything out on the table and say, you know, how are we going to do things differently? And we did a lot of things differently and still do. But one of the things that, that really, I guess, sort of informs how we celebrate now and how we retreat is to, to think about what, what is the feeling that we're after? Mm. You know, what, rather than saying, what do we want to do for Christmas? How do we want to feel for Christmas? And, you know, we asked our kids and it, I mean, again, I am an introvert. Most of my family is introverted. What our kids were saying and what we ourselves were saying is like, you know, we, we want to be cozy. We want to be together. We want to have people in our home. You know, we want to do a puzzle together. I mean, Mm -hmm. that was just like, it's the only time of the year that we do a puzzle, but it's an important part of our tradition now. So we, you know, we put up twinkle lights and we light candles and we play Christmas music and it becomes more about this atmosphere Mm -hmm. that we hope we can then very enthusiastically welcome others into. It becomes a bit more about that than it, than it is the things that you're doing, the things that you're buying, you know, we're still, we're still doing those things, but it just kind of, it it sort of puts the emphasis at a bit of a different place. And, you know, for us, we live here in Northern Indiana, it gets pitch dark by five o'clock. And so this is a perfect time of year for, I don't have to be talked into retreating, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) we have a lot of people over, we do a lot of these things, but also it is, you do not have to twist my arm to get me to deadbolt the door and close the drapes and mm-hmm. put my sweatpants on at, at four o'clock in the evening. And this is the time to do that. This mm-hmm. is the time to do that. And yeah, so just, just kind of chasing that feeling, I guess, is, is what helped us kind of reorient. Have you, and I love the question that you ask. I mean, that changes the perspective and how do, how do you want to feel this holiday season? Yeah. And, and that might be different. Mm-hmm. I mean, there might be people who are have a different personality or a different life mm-hmm. than I do who feels like I just want to feel so festive and I want to, I mean, I don't think there's a wrong way or a wrong mm-hmm. answer. No, no, no. So, so asking that question and, you know, even asking your family or the, the friends around you and, and going from there, it's been really, it's been really special for us. And then my other question is what is a favorite Christmas memory? Okay, so this is going to be, this is where I'm going to take it too far. But since you asked, okay. for us, we made a big shift those many years ago that we we do all of our, like, gifting and, and sort of that sort of 
part of Christmas on Christmas Eve now. Okay. And we do our best to not do any gifts at all on Christmas Day. And so instead of, so we, we just kind of bump it up a day earlier, which my kids were great with because it just meant they got their presents a day mm-hmm. earlier. They, they're, not, they're not overthinking it. Um, but that's my favorite tradition now because I, what I found was a lot of times, I mean, even throughout childhood, throughout the early part of our marriage, it, you know, this, this kind of climax of opening the gifts around the tree and you, I build expectations too high sometimes mm-hmm. and all of these things. A lot of times I ended up feeling kind of lonely inside. I ended Mm -hmm. up walking away with this just kind of, you know, unmet expectation. I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I felt a little sad. Just shifting that to now the thing that, you know, the Christmas Day celebration that we look forward to is the gifts are done. The expectations have been dealt with. You know, we still have some of those unmet expectations every year. That's part of life. Mm -hmm. But now on Christmas Day, like, our, our ending point is having a day where we make lots of food and we invite anybody into our home who doesn't have a place to be on Christmas day. So people are kind of in and out and it's not hordes of people, but it might be, you know, it's usually an odd handful, an odd collection of people who may or may not know each other. And we do the puzzle and we watch a Netflix Christmas movie or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really matter, but it, it has just, again, helped us to reorient the holidays around a thing that at the end of the day, Christmas in our hearts feels warm and it feels connected and it feels like we were, you you know, we're kind of making sure that the focus is more on the people and those relationships and those connections than, than the stuff. So that's my, that's my favorite. That reminds me, I was, so because I'm asking that question, I had been thinking, you know, well, what are, what are some of my memories? And Last night I was, my nephew is a music composition major and he had a recital. And so I was sitting behind him and it's in a chapel and the chapel I was talking about earlier. And I was sitting behind yeah. my dad and it reminded me of growing up and sitting with, that's the only time we'd sit in the balcony at church. And my dad would pass peppermint candies to me um, during the service. But I remember when we would sing Silent Night and they would turn off all the lights and everyone would light the little candle. And I would think it's almost here. Like... The cleaning at home is done and the craziness of getting ready and having to wear the stupid dress and have my hair curled and whatever. (laughs) And we were just getting to the good stuff. We were just getting to the being with family and eating and the presents. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it was that anticipation of, oh, all the work is done. And now it's just all the fun from now on. And I think that is honestly where I came to that. How do you want to feel question? Because as I was looking back in my own childhood, Mm -hmm. I couldn't have told you a single distinct favorite Christmas memory. Mm. All I could tell you was how I felt. You know, that's what I carried with me into adulthood from my childhood was this feeling that sort of moved through all of the Christmases of my childhood. Mm-hmm. And and that's where I started to realize my kids aren't going to necessarily remember these events or things or even gifts. What they're going to remember, I hope, at the end of this is how they felt, mm. how Christmas felt to them. So I like that you that you mentioned that because I think you're kind of saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like, just remember this feeling. I think that's such a powerful place to start as we look into, you know, look towards how, how we hope to celebrate. Because celebration is awesome. Right. And it's fun and it's festive and it's all those things. And it's it's so hard and it's sad and it's it's everything. That is, that's abundance. But I like what you're saying, too, that do that 
and maybe make space. Make space for the person who you don't know what they're going through. Yeah. And let them experience Christmas the way that they need to experience it. Right. Yep. And if you feel willing, like maybe invite them into your Christmas. Mm -hmm. Now you're talking crazy. I know. (laughs) (laughs) I totally agree. Yes, that's it. Shannon, this has been delightful. I just, I, I could talk to you for another hour. This is, I am so glad you said yes. And this was, I've just enjoyed myself. Me too. Thank you so much for asking. I loved it too. Merry Christmas. Let's share some cheer tonight. Thank you for joining me for this Advent episode of the Retreat House Podcast. Thank you, Anna Marie Carey, for letting me use your music again. I love it. It's perfect. If you are wondering about anything we talked about in this episode, you can go find out more information in the show notes. If you want to keep up with Retreat House Podcast, you can find us on social media at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with me, you can find me at at Angela Smith MN. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope you're having a wonderful Advent. And so this Christmas, I hope you'll take the time to come on down to my side of town, cause you're a friend of mine.